0: Welcome back. This week, we are going to talk about raising resilient children. So it's kind of an offshoot of what we talked about last week in effective parenting. But we're going to talk about how to help children be resilient as they grow up. And one of the things that we're going to hit on is dealing with childhood trauma and how to help children be resilient in that. But we also want to talk about helping children to be resilient in life, because as we all know, change is inevitable and change can be incredibly difficult for children. So how do we help them better adapt? How do we help them to be more resilient?
1: It's such a great thing for parents to think about.
0: It really is. You know, how, yeah. how
1: do you do that? I had this reaction as I was thinking about, you know, talking about this tonight and I got excited and I'm trying to figure out why was I excited about this? Mm-hmm. And I think it's because if, if parents really listen to these suggestions, because I'm going to, I'm going to go through a, quite a few different suggestions on how you might help children learn to be resilient. Mm-hmm. I think it can make a huge difference in uh, kid's lives. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully, um. You know, parents will take some of these things, uh, try and implement them into their own families. And I think it can be helpful. All of these mm-hmm. things, you know, are going to be very helpful for kids. Can I, I have a book that I want to recommend. And I, usually when I get going, I forget about the books. So I want to get it out at the hey. start. Yeah. Here's the name of it is called The Yes Brain. Okay. How to Cultivate Courage, Curiosity, and Resilience. In your child, great. and I think the reason the main well, it's a great book, but the main reason I love the author, the author's name is Daniel Siegel, S I E G E L, okay. and Dan Siegel is a he's an at by training he's an adolescent psych, uh, psychiatrist at UCLA, but I think he's one of our country's foremost experts on the brain okay. and how to change it, how to have a healthy brain. And then he incorporates all that vast knowledge about the brain and how it works into how do you have healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. So I I think his books, he's written quite a few books. Um there's I can't remember the last one was specifically about adolescence, but if you go search for Dan Siegel's name, I think any of his books are really quite helpful.
0: Okay.
1: So resilience, why you know, why are we even talking about this? And so mm-hmm. if we talk about you mentioned childhood trauma, but then you know life is stressful, and there are other events other than just trauma that can be mm-hmm. difficult for children and I think back when we talked about anxiety, which we've talked about several times, mm-hmm. it's really important to understand the brain changes that happen when you're under threat and then the physiologic physiological changes that happens when one is under threat. And so what happens is your body goes through these changes, which are designed to make us faster and stronger and more alert and more capable. And so for instance, our heart rate increases, our blood pressure goes up, adrenaline and cortisol. I think I've mentioned that, you know, start flooding our body and all of that is to get our body and our mind prepared to act in some way to save us.
0: It's so the fight or fight response. It's,
1: it's exactly that. It's a fight or flight uh, response. So in the short term, so for, for an immediate issue, it's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the additional thing, the brain thing is often our our executive function is in our frontal lobe. And what uh-huh. we call executive function is how we make decisions and things like that. We're thinking out problems. And often what happens is it, that actually gets turned off. And we think that the reason it, in the short term and the reason mm-hmm. for that is that... You know, maybe when you need to run or you need to fight, you don't want to sit and think about it and, Mm -hmm. you know, have some sort of internal discussion with yourself about, should I do this? Should I do that? Mm -hmm. I think sometimes you just need to act.
0: And I had a very recent experience with that. We were at a family barbecue and my son, who is almost two, he started choking and at first it was kind of like, you know, we were watching him because he was still getting air. He was kind of doing that thing where, you know, they're choking, yeah, but yeah, they're. Yeah. yeah. And so eventually I could see that he wasn't getting any air and I didn't even think I just immediately reacted because I've been through a lot of training for how to help a, a, an infant or a, a young child choking. And just without even thinking about it, I leaned his head forward and I banged on his back and, and he got it up and got it out. But I really think it was that fight or flight response. I mean, just, I didn't even think I just acted.
1: Right. And, and you're exactly right. That's what it Mm -hmm. is. You know, I always think as, as much as I know about the brain and how it interacts with the body, I think it's such an amazing system, really.
0: Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, it really is. Mm -hmm.
1: So, you know, your description of that event, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. So now the problem comes, though, if the stress is prolonged, mm-hmm. then all those things, adrenaline, especially cortisol, heart rate going up, uh, blood pressure going up, that is not good for the body. And I, and I think um, I mentioned during several talks about anxiety that, you know, in the center of your brain, the amygdala is the thing that gets triggered. Mm -hmm. And so even though this isn't, and I'm going to say again, this isn't what really happens. I always envision the amygdala as being inflamed in some way. Mm -hmm. And so it's easily like you're easily startled, you're easily upset, you're and and all those that's the anxiety. That's mm-hmm. the you know kids that grow up and they're anxious. And so one of the reasons that we want to talk about resiliency is to help children learn how to better handle the issues that come through them with life. And it's and sometimes it's going to be traumatic events. Mm-hmm. That's true. But as you mentioned, there are all sorts of changes. Because if, if you're triggered easily, if your amygdala, you know, is easily triggered, then, you know, going to a new school, like when you change to go to middle school or when you mm-hmm. go to high school, that can be a triggering event that then causes the child to be anxious. And the resilient child doesn't react in that same way. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason to talk about resiliency.
0: Mhm. And I think it starts with and I and I've heard this before I've had another therapist tell me this that it starts with as a very young child how you react to things like when they fall over or when right. they become injured. Sure. It kind of starts there. So for example, if babies trip a lot uh-huh. and kids are going to they're going to fall over, they're going to bleed, they're going to get hurt how do you handle a bleeding child? Do you run around and freak out like a chicken with its head cut off? Right. <laughs> or so, do you remain calm?
1: Okay. So as a new parent, so this would be about 41 years ago. My oldest mm-hmm. child is 41. I remember she was in a tub and she slipped and she, I guess she must have bit a lip or tongue or something. Anyway, yep. she started bleeding, right? Because those uh-huh. are bleeders. Yeah. So oh, yeah. our per, our first child. And I kid you not, we're in the car going to the hospital. No, no. kid- <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, you know, that's an overreaction. Right. But we figured out, okay, that's an overreaction. And yeah. somehow maybe we took ice and the ice, you know, she's sucking on the ice and it stops the bleeding.
0: Uh-huh. A- anyway,
1: so you bring up a really good point. And that is that there are going to be childhood accidents and how yes. we react as parents. So, and I would say it's the intensity with which we react yeah it's because the kids will pick up on that Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and i think again this goes back to anxiety and i you know throughout the idea at one time that anxiety is not necessarily what we inherit it's what we're taught Mm
0: -hmm. and there's
1: some pretty good evidence that that is true Mm -hmm. and so you know, if your child, you know, you've got this little child and they pick up everything and yeah. they witness you being anxious. Oh, is he going to fall? Is he going to hurt? Or did he, mm-hmm. you know, he scraped his leg, then you're right. It it teaches them to be anxious and that falling and hurting yourself is somehow a bigger deal than it really than is. Maybe it really is. Yeah. So I'm going to go through a list of things and maybe this is the reason I was really looking forward to and excited about talking about this. I think, you know, uh, and the listeners probably know that anytime we're talking about childhood issues, I always talk to Lindy about it, my wife, because she, Mm -hmm. and so this is the very first thing she, I said, what do you know about resiliency in kids? The very first thing she said, if you have a strong relationship with just one person, if the child has a strong relationship with Mm -hmm. just one person, that is you, you know, often, parents think, well, I want to raise this independent child, but it's not that you want them to be independent before they're able to be independent.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: There's this fine line between helping too much and not helping enough.
0: Very fine.
1: Yeah. And and it's hard to figure that out. Mm
0: -hmm. But
1: I think the research is pretty clear on this, that if you are, if you have people around you who care about you, who are there to help you. Now, this is typically parents, right? Or grandparents. It doesn't have to be. I mean, it can be a teacher. Sometimes teachers are that way. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they're the people who are really supportive. But it's that that social support with that emotional component. I think we talked about this, um, John Gottman's uh, emotion coaching and how you talk to kids and really promote emotional awareness. And so if you're the parent who's there, who's ready to support their kids in any way they can. Now, that does not mean you do something for them. And that's actually something I'll get to in a minute. Mm -hmm. It's just you're there when they need that support Mm -hmm. and you don't run in and solve their problems for them immediately, because that's that's another issue we'll talk about is you want them to learn what we might call self-efficacy. Yeah. And so again, it's a, it's a fine line. I mean, it's tough for parents. I mean, I gave you the example of my oldest child and we're on Uh the way to the hospital with the, you know, bit lip.
0: Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's a little overkill. (laughs) Right. And as you're speaking, I'm thinking of when a toddler's of when a toddler gets hurt because they fall a lot and off they scrape their knee or whatever. And, and how, how we react a lot of parents, it's instinctive to run to the child and and comfort them and just are you okay are you okay are you okay when yes when really the better way to do it is oh did you get hurt and acknowledge that they're hurt stay calm and comfort them in whatever way they need comfort and that way they they feel seen they feel heard someone is acknowledging i'm feeling something but you're not just amplifying it or yeah
1: that's a really good way to put it you know don't amplify it but it's empathy for the emotional reaction. Mm -hmm. So before we leave that one, uh, the research says that, you know, it's not that it's not necessarily the inner strength of the child or that rugged self uh, reliance. It Mm -hmm. is the reliable presence of at least one supportive relationship. Mm
0: -hmm. That's the important thing in the
1: context of a loving relationship with an adult who helps the child to develop those coping skills. Mm -hmm. So having someone who cares about them is really important. Now, the, the next thing is it's okay to, to help children learn. It's okay to ask for help. Right. Yeah. When they need it. Because if you go throughout life, I mean, if you think about, you know, life experiences, if we try and do them on their, on our own, mm-hmm. that's hard. It's overwhelming. But if in the times we need help, we can find someone and ask for help. And again, you have that presence of someone who's there to support you, and that's really helpful for uh, being resilient.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's take a minute and talk about something that can be really hard: the importance of never lying to a child. Yeah. which which seems kind of odd. I agree because with that. yeah, because there's kind of cultural, social things that that we do talk about, and parents will know. Exactly what I'm talking about. Cultural things that uh, around Christmas or losing a first tooth, you oh, know, right. those kinds of things. Like you know, they kind of understand, and I mean that that kind of makes it almost like okay, this seems backwards, and maybe some parents get think that that well, if we're lying to them about that, then why isn't it okay to lie to them about other things? I've I've heard this one. Thing on Facebook one time that said, when my parents learn how to read, I'm going to be in all sorts of trouble. Because when they asked me what that sign says, I tell them things like no talking to your brother or, you know, don't hit. They're just telling little white lies yeah. to help the get through yeah. that moment. Or if you eat too many gummy bears, you're going to turn into one is one that I heard my friends say, which yeah. is just, which was <laughs> kind of just a silly thing. And I don't think, you know, I think kids kind of know when you're just being silly, but I think that it's very, very important to. Never lie to a child as much as you possibly can.
1: I I agree. And so you bring up an interesting point. In fact, one of my daughters thought that they should not, they should tell the reality around Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I think their kids actually believe because the problem with that, yes, it's a lie. But if you then tell them that Santa Claus isn't real, then you set them up to be different than every other kid in their class. Yeah, And that in and of itself is really, really tough. And then you set them up to be disliked by all the other parents when they go around telling their kids that Santa Claus isn't real. So yes. I think I, I always put those two Easter Bunny might be one tooth fairy yep. might be one. Yep. Yep. I put those in a, a little bit different a category because they are social norms. Yes. That, And honestly, I have never seen anyone. Who came into my office and said, <laughs> I am traumatized because my parents lied to me about Santa Claus. I've right? never seen it happen. <laughs> so oh, I yeah. feel, I, you know, I feel like I was not traumatized by that.
0: I wasn't <laughs> angry at my parents when I, and it was just kind of this sudden dawning no. realization. Like I yeah. grew up, my brain developed, and I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Okay, this is this is what it really is. And I moved on with life and I wasn't that's, mad at anyone. And that's right. You know,
1: so, Listen, I want to acknowledge there may be people out there who have a traumatic experience with that. It I have not be. met them yet, though. So <laughs> yeah. going back to the original idea, I think it's really important not to lie to children. And I think the reason parents do is they don't know how to talk to kids about certain subjects that, on a more age-appropriate level. And so right. <clears throat> in the you know in the presence of, I don't know what to do, then mm-hmm. they just decide, well, I'm going to lie about it. I agree with you. If you're, if you're lying about the sign and the kid says, what does that sign say? And you lie about it. The kid's going to find out. And that that's very different than the issue of Santa Claus. Right. So asking for help is really important. The next thing we talked um, at the start about executive function. And so the idea of how do you, it's essentially, how do you problem solve? Right. And so one of the things that I think you mentioned this earlier in this episode and that that is not to, not for parents to jump in and do things Mm -hmm. for the kids. So, and I may have mentioned this before when Lindy's in the playroom, often what she'll have children who will go to her and say, here, I can't do this, whatever this is. Mm -hmm. Can you help me? And her response is almost, I think it's always the same. I know you can figure that out. Okay. And so it's saying you know, to the child, you can figure this out. Now, you certainly again, parents have to use a better judgment. If the child's right. trying to do something that clearly they are never going to be able to figure out, mm-hmm. then you need to step in and help them and teach them. But if in your mind, it's clearly something they can do, if they just put forth the effort, mm-hmm. then you help them to, to do that. And you, and you say you can, you're able to do that. And then the response when they're able to, like even taking a jar, a lid off of a jar, and then you say, see, I knew you could do that. And okay. you know, I'm really happy that you were successful.
0: Okay, let's take a quick break and we will be right back. Hi there. My name is Maya Acosta and I'm the host of the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions podcast, where I explore ways that we can optimize our health. I learned about the field of lifestyle medicine, which uses evidence-based approaches to prevent halt and in even some cases reverse disease. These are lifestyle modalities, such as using certain foods as medicine, using exercise to reverse disease, managing our stress, and even getting adequate sleep. Join me and the amazing people that I get to talk to as I set out to learn how taking better care of ourselves can help us both improve the quality of life and enhance our longevity. Let's get started. So what do you do then when you run into, because I know I have as a parent, when you know the child is able to do something, but they want you to do it for them anyways. So where is that line of, well, I know you can do this, but you want me to. And so, how? Where, where's that line at?
1: Well, I think that parents often jump in and do things just because it's quicker.
0: Right. That's true, too.
1: So, so I, I understand that. But I think if what you're trying to do is build self-efficacy mm-hmm. with your children then you need to stand back and let it take the time. You know, good parenting often takes more time than we really want to spend, right? (laughs) And so it takes a lot of patience. Mm -hmm. And to just say, you know, child, I know you can do this. And so Mm -hmm. we'll just wait till you, you know, do this. And so if you step in, then they know that they don't have to, you know. Do hard things. Yeah, do hard things and that Mm -hmm. they can do it.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Which then eventually translates into, I think, schoolwork,
0: yes. you know, so parent.
1: I mean, as your kids get older and they have homework, I, I have heard so many parents say they go in and they do the report for the kid. And I think mm-hmm. that is the worst thing that yeah. one of the worst things school wise that you can do mm-hmm. for kids is because then, you know, they learn that they don't have to do it themselves.
0: And another thing that parents do that I've heard teachers talk about is not making sure they go to school with every correct answer in that if they're doing it on their own and they get it wrong, you don't have to correct it in the home. And and I'm not talking about practically doing it for them. I'm talking about, you know, when they're doing it independently and they get something wrong, you know, maybe, maybe let it stay wrong. So the teacher, yeah, yeah, the teacher knows it's okay for kids to, to fail. Make mistakes. It, yeah, yes. to to yeah, to, to get it wrong. I think that's a really hard thing for parents to understand and I know I I struggle with it too is letting kids make mistakes, letting them get it wrong, letting them fail. Home should be a safe environment for kids to fail and rebuild up self-esteem. Right. It's one of those things where it's kind of like every child gets a trophy at a certain age. It's like, yeah, when they're really young. Okay. We don't need to keep score. There doesn't need to be a defined winner or loser when they're really young and just learning, but eventually when they get to a certain age, there needs to be a winner because right. kids need to learn how to lose.
1: Well, cause that's real life.
0: Exactly. That's life. Yeah.
1: And, and so I, I agree with you that it's okay for kids to fail. In fact, I tell parents all the time. You want your kids to fail because then they know yeah. what it's like and they then can pick themselves up and figure out how do you, how do you solve what this failure is, yeah. uh, you know, whatever it is. And so I think we get so caught up as parents in thinking my kids have to be perfect or hundred percent. And, mm-hmm. you know, the math quiz they take home in third grade is going to somehow determine where they go to graduate school. <laughs> it's and really it's not. just, <laughs> There is just no connection at all. So let your kids fail Uh and be there to help. Like if they come and say, "Dad, I don't understand how this works," then you can say, "Let's talk about it." See, that's a valid question to say, "I don't understand, you know, how this thing, whatever it is, works." Mm -hmm. So it's a really good point. The next two things are things we have talked about before in the context of how do you help anxiety, and Mm -hmm. that is a good mindfulness practice. I mean, we Mm -hmm. call it for adults. We call it, you know, meditation, but an exercise. So, uh-huh. it's really important, I think, to help kids learn the value of mindfulness. I would put in this category of how do you learn, how do you help kids learn to self regulate? Mm-hmm. So, self regulation is something I think, as all parents, that's what we want our kids to learn. So that right. they, you know, they're in school and something happens, they don't just, you know, explode and, and, lose their crap all over the place, you know, and so right. you want them to learn how to control the emotions. And I think they do that at home. But I also think if you can teach them a good mindfulness practice, and there are good meditative programs out there on the internet for kids. Mm-hmm. And um, I can tell you my that Lindy has done this with all four of my grandkids. At, at times, they'll get, she'll get them together and they'll do a circle meditation. I mean, there are things that are appropriate for children mm-hmm. and they love it. They really like it. So it's not that kids are going to push back. Most kids are not going to push back against this, especially if you're doing it with them.
0: Okay. Yeah. I've heard of yoga, having kids do yoga. I've heard that they, they love that. They love doing yoga. They think that's fun. So, which is, which could be my youngest,
1: my youngest is always doing downward dog or, Whatever uh-huh. I don't know the <laughs> different yeah. yeah. uh-huh. position. So so good exercise. Exercise is appropriate, and so I'm not saying you know you take your kids on a five mile run. I'm right. saying you teach them how to play kickball. You go play soccer. You go play basketball, or some you know something that gets them being active that is also enjoyable, and it also yeah. builds relationship with mm-hmm. the parent.
0: Yes, get them outside. Go get them outside, outside with your kids.
1: Go on a hike. You know, yeah. kids.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, they
1: may grumble about it, but still, go on a hike, mm-hmm. you do something, walk. Yeah. So that those things are really important. Now, the the next thing we've kind of covered: building feelings of competence and a sense of mastery. Uh, this is something that we've known for a long time and really worked with our kids, and and you may be aware of this: that if a child, so especially when they hit adolescence, if they have one thing that they really feel like is their thing. For instance, I'm a piano player. I'm a soccer player. I'm a singer. I sing. And it, it really doesn't matter what it is. And they can have more than one thing. But if they have one thing that they feel like they are mastering, mm-hmm. that is really important for kids because okay. it helps give them that sense of mastery. And it an really ties an accomplishment And it. Okay. And what you're doing Let's say just playing the piano or learning to play the guitar. And that is, you know, you're taking something that's hard. Mm -hmm. You're working at it, uh, hopefully daily or weekly, and you're practicing. And so over time, really in a, maybe it's not a subtle way. Maybe it's not so subtle is that you're teaching the kid, I can do this hard thing and become better.
0: And it builds self-esteem too. That's resiliency. Yeah, I could really see that building self-esteem because they're doing something that they can be proud of. I mean, they can Mm -hmm. see, wow, like, for example, playing the piano, this song used to be really, really hard and now I can play and it's easy. That sounds really effective.
1: Yeah. So I'm teaching all four of my grandkids piano right now. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I'm a great teacher, but they love it. And it's exactly that. And they love spending
0: time with you. Yeah. So they all spend
1: time with me. So next thing is certainly modeling resiliency as a parent. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes that, you know, that might be hard given the context, but let's say, oh, for instance, the adult, you know, maybe they're trying to get a job and they don't get it. Mm -hmm. The way you react to that, if you're resilient or not, Mm -hmm. can be a good example for your children. For okay. example, if it's devastating and, okay, it's the end of the world, I didn't get this job. Well, that's not being resilient.
0: Or if, but get if you get fired from a job.
1: If you get fired from a job, it, that's yeah. very difficult, uh-huh. but you can, you can take that and use it as an opportunity as to how one is resilient by okay. modeling, okay, you know, yeah, I got fired, but I'm going to go start looking for a job right now and here's what I'm going to do. And so you start that process and you can let the kids see. You know, yeah, okay, dad's facing, or dad or mom's facing a hard thing, and they're going to come out on the other end. I mean, that's modeling is really important Mm -hmm. uh, for children. Yeah. So, you know, we've talked about, let's see, taking risks. Okay. Now, this is another one of those hard ones, which is a judgment call, right, for Mm -hmm. parents. When is the risk too big? So, you don't want to let or encourage your children to take risks that are too big, or that might be too dangerous, or where there's a higher chance of failing. Although remember, failure is fine. It's just you want to help them learn to take risks that they have a decent chance of being successful. Okay. And what that means to take risks is I'm going to try this. I'm going to try it. I don't know if it'll work. But I'm going to give it, you know, try anyway. And So so that's an important skill to have.
0: So, and and an example that I may be thinking of is when a kid is learning to do something physical, like maybe learning yes. to swim or swinging or doing something that uh, physically can be dangerous or mm-hmm. a, a little bit a
1: little scary. They're a little scary for them. yeah, sure.
0: yeah. Well, I mean, you know, going down a slide for mm-hmm. a, a young toddler or or learning to swim it can also be a big one. That's a risk, and there are dangers involved, and you have to know your child, and you have to make a judgment call of how much your child can handle. I guess in that case, because they need to know and understand, you're going to be there. You're not going to let them drown, <laughs> well, but it, they need to learn.
1: Yeah, the example of the slide, and maybe all of us who've had who've had young kids have probably uh-huh. had the slide thing because kids are, you know, you put them at the top of the slide and they don't want to go down the slide. And yep. so you want them to learn that they can master that. And so you mm-hmm. have to be able to, you know, help them understand what it is and take, it's a risk, but it's a risk it will be all right. And you can say, I'm going to be at the bottom to help you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you. after a while, after a while, you know, they come down. And if you've had that experience, it's it's really fun to see the kid, you know, all yep. of a sudden, wow, I did it, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, it's just this little kid going down the slide, but that's, that's a really good example of what you want to do as they grow up. Mm-hmm. It just changes. It's not the slide. It might be swimming. I know that, you yeah. know, sometimes you might have a fear of water. Well, let's mm-hmm. figure out how to face your fear and let's, you know, help you get through it.
0: Yeah. Right. All good things to talk about. So that is it for today. We are already out of time. Man, it just flies. I can by
1: go on forever. And I you know that I should have told you. <laughs> you can cut me off at any time. But I think the